Welcome to iChurch. Our mission is to break bondage, inspiring you. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, iChurchOKA.com. But now, get ready for what God has to say to you. We've been speaking about fake book. You guys have seen the, all the fingers of the like. And the fake book is all about Joseph's life. Joseph's life. So what I'm going to do, for those of you that don't know Joseph's life, I'm going to review his whole life for you. And for those of you that do know his life, then I just want you to pay attention. I'm going to go as quickly as possible. This might be a lot. This is a lot to take in. And I'm not going to make justice to this. But for time, I'm going to fly through this story. And I'm going to tell you guys about a man named Joseph. Look at the person next to you and say, Joseph. All right, all right. So here we go. Joseph had a father. His father's name was Jacob. His mother's name was Rachel, and they had a beautiful, kind of weird love story. Jacob fell in love with Rachel when he saw her in the distance, and he goes to Rachel's father, and he says, hey, I want your daughter. And Rachel's father tells him, okay, I need you to work for seven years. So he works for seven years, and the night that he's going to get married, he goes into a dark room to receive his wife. He has intimacy with this woman, and when he wakes up, it wasn't Rachel. Dude, that would stink so bad. It was Rachel's sister. So he gets up and he's like, hey, what are you doing, man? This isn't the girl I wanted. I wanted the other one, the blonde one. You gave me the brunette. Come on, man. What are you doing to me? What are you doing to me? And so his father goes like, I'm sorry, man. I just, what do you say? I just gave you the wrong daughter. What? So then what he does is that, look at Rachel's father. He tells him, just work seven more years. Come on. Just seven years. You know, just work for seven years. And I'll give you Rachel too. You can have both of them. And Jacob was like, man. He screwed me over. And he's like, no, dude, seven years. So he goes and he works for seven years, and then he gets the right one. And he has Rachel. So he loves Rachel. He has both, but he loves Rachel. Ain't that beautiful? Working 14 years. First seven, I get your sister. Other seven, I get you. In love. That's weird, but it's beautiful. Um, but here's what happens. Rachel can't have kids. Rachel doesn't have kids. She, she, she can't have kids until she has Joseph. The other one, she was having babies like boom, 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 boom. I think she was Latin because she was having babies like crazy. And so, but Rachel couldn't have kids until she had Joseph. So Joseph is Rachel's, I need somebody in the drummer, right? So my lame jokes, that's okay. Don't worry, David, some other time. So then she gets Joseph. When Rachel gives Joseph, then you, you can imagine Jacob. Jacob loves Rachel, so he's in love with Joseph. He's excited because he's the first son of the woman that he loved. So all his brothers got jealous because the dad liked him more. So his brothers were jealous because his dad liked Joseph more. And the reason that they knew that his dad liked Joseph more is because Joseph gave him a rope, a colorful rope. And they were all so jealous. They're like, I wanted a rope, daddy. I wanted a rope. Think about it. Isn't that stupid? They were so jealous because of a rope, a colorful rope. I guess they weren't like bad Beth and Beyond or something like that, right? He could have gone and get him at all and saved Joseph the trouble. But they were all so mad because of the rope. So his jerk brothers throw him in a hole. But this is something I didn't know until today. The reason they throw him in a hole, it was because of Reuben. Reuben was so good that Reuben was like, no, let's not kill him because the plan was to kill him. And whenever they were going to kill Joseph, Reuben is like, no, no, come on, man, let's not kill him. And so what do you suggest? Let's just throw him in a hole. Thank you, Reuben. You're so awesome. So they throw him in a hole. They throw Joseph in a hole. Then they take him out. They sell him. When they sell him, this man, I don't know how to pronounce his name. The reason that I pronounce this is funny. The reason that it sounds to me, it sounds like a fart. Potiphar. Potiphar. 
Mm, imagine if you're sold to a person named Potifart. That'd be disgusting. Well, Potifart <laughs> buys him, and then when Potifar buys him, is that, is that how you pronounce it? Potiphar. Sounds better. Let's go with Potiphar. Let's go with Potiphar. Okay, Potiphar. Let's do this. How many of you want Potiphar? Say amen. amen. And now repeat after me. <laughs> Only young people did that. And if you did it, that means you're young. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So they, this Potiphar has a wife, and his wife is a weirdo. His wife is sexually harassing the dude. Men sending him messages through Facebook, sending all this stuff. His wife is sexually harassing him. And she insisted, insisted, come on, come on, come on, have me, have me, have me, have me. And Joseph is like, no. He's like, have me, have me. No. And then what she does is that she tries to rape Joseph. Joseph comes, and she gets Joseph, grabs him by the rope. He's like, have me. And Joseph goes like, not. And he starts running, probably naked, running all over because he doesn't want, he doesn't want that to happen. And so for the longest time, all the youth leaders, they always say to the youth, whenever a girl comes to you and she breaks your robe, you got to run. You got to run. For me, this applies, yeah, for youth, but it also applies for married men more. Married men in the house. About to get married. You're going to do worse damage. Run. There's no other way. You're not strong enough. Don't try to, 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 to confuse yourself. Don't lie to yourself. You ain't strong. Your friend is going to do what he wants to do, okay? So run, boy. Run. So they get pissed at him because he runs and he doesn't touch his wife. And Potiphar gets upset at him, grabs him, and throws him in jail. Throws him in jail. And look at what happens in jail. There's these other two dudes in jail. And he starts talking to them. He finds out that they had some dreams. He interprets the dream. And in the long run, that's how he's going to end up in the palace behind Pharaoh, under Pharaoh. In the palace, he becomes a black mamba. In the palace, he's the Kobe Bryant of the basketball. He is Jordan. He is the beast. Nobody's like him. He's in charge of all the food. This dude's got power. This dude is amazing. And he's right here in the palace. God prospered him. He leads all the food. And that day that he leaves all the food and all the land is in famine and nobody has food, guess who comes through those doors? His brothers. His bros come in through the door and they're like, hey, yo, we ain't got no food. And so he looks at them and he recognizes that his brothers, he recognizes his brothers, but his brothers don't recognize him. So his brothers don't know who they're talking about, but he knows you guys threw me in the hole. Thanks to Reuben. Thank you, Reuben. He doesn't, he, he's so confused and he's looking at them, but his brothers, they don't know. They can't recognize him. Joseph understands pain. Let me tell you something. Joseph understands pain and he knows that pain is part of life. And today in the 947 service, if you haven't gone to that service, that service is amazing too. In the 947 service contemporary, Pastor Carlos said something that, that hit me, hit me so bad. He put a perspective to it that, that, that I'd never seen before. We need pain. We keep running from pain, but pain is inevitable, number one. And number two, we need it in our lives. And even though that's a really long sermon and I would love to preach it, but I can't right now because of time, let me just give you the short version. Say that you could talk to a stove, a stove, a hot stove. And whenever a little kid comes and he's going to touch the hot stove, if he touches it, what's going to happen? He's going to burn. And if he burns, he's in pain, correct? Okay, imagine if we could talk to the stone and make a deal with the stove that whenever he comes and touches it, at least for the first time, no pain. 
Okay? You don't get burnt. You don't get no pain. Touch the stove, but no pain. Then the little kid comes again, and when he's going to touch it again, you look at the stove, and you're like, please, give him one more chance. No pain, no pain. And the little kid touches the, the stove, and no pain. And the kid comes again for the third time, and for the third time, the parent is, the, the, the stove is not going to give him any other opportunity. The kid touches it. He feels pain. Once he feels pain, will he touch the stove again? Before he feels pain, will he touch the stove again? Yeah. He's got nothing to lose. So what are you saying? That since you're little, failure and pain is necessary in your life so that you can, spoken in the words of Pastor Carlos, so that you can learn and it can help you to move on and understand life a little bit better. So look at whoever's next to you and be like, yo, we need pain, man. We need pain. We need pain. It helps you, but it'll only help you if you know when, say with me, when, and if you know how to perceive it, you need to know when to stop it and you need to know how to perceive it. The pain of the little kid touching the stove is going to help him never to touch a stove again unless he sticks to the stove and he stays there his whole life. Will that pain help him accomplish anything if he does not let go? And the way that he perceived it is that that pain is bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, but he keeps holding on to it. We need to understand when to stop pain, and we need to understand how to perceive pain. And the Apostle Paul is so smart, awesome dude, that he gives it to us in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Look at what says 2 Corinthians 4, 17. If you guys have it in the back, please put it. If not, that's okay. You guys follow me with your Bibles. We had some technical difficulties today. But look at what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says. For our momentary, or what? Church, you with me? You asleep. You with me? Yeah, come on, if you're with me, clap. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. For those of you that gave more than one clap, you're really with me. I appreciate you. I owe you five bucks. Look at what 2 Corinthians 4.17 says. For our momentary light suffering is producing for us eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. For our momentary light suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. That's what I just told you. I told you that when you get pain, you will understand better, and it produces for you something good. But, and you, but I know what you're thinking. I know you're thinking, oh, Jose, but that says little pain, little pain. It says light pain. Look at the word translated. That's where you're wrong. Look at the word, the literal Greek word whenever they translate light. The word is elafros. Say elafros. And elafros means quick. When I heard this, man, I was like, man, this sermon is going to be good. Elafros means quick. Paul says your momentary, quick suffering will produce eternal weight of glory far beyond our comparison. But if the pain is not quick, if the pain is not momentary, it cannot produce glory because it is always still in the level of pain. It needs to finish. It needs to be done is the first thing. So the problem is not the pain. The problem is you not letting go of the pain. Somebody's got to let go of some pain tonight. Somebody's got to let go of some pain tonight. Okay, Josue, so yes, okay, we need to know when to stop it, but you said perceive it. We need to know how to perceive it. We need to know how to look at it, and that's not what it says. Look at verse 18, right under it. Verse 18 says, because we are not, we are what? Looking, looking, perceiving at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. So he says, when the pain is quick, 
When the pain is fast, it will produce a lot of glory. But the only reason that it will produce a lot of glory is because it was fast. And it's because whoever received the pain was not looking at what the things that can be seen. He was looking at the things that cannot be seen. What are you looking at when you're in pain? What are you looking at? Paul says you got to look behind the pain. You got to look that there is a father that we cannot see with our own eyes that has a purpose for the pain. There is a father that was right with Joseph when they threw him in the hole and they wouldn't have thrown him in the hole. They wouldn't have sold him. They wouldn't have sold him. Potiphar wouldn't have got him. If Potiphar wouldn't have got him, he wouldn't have been in that jail, specific jail with a specific guard where they were going to bring specific people so that then he can end up and save thousands of lives. Imagine if Joseph would have started complaining, complaining because he cannot see, he cannot understand the problem because all he can see is a hole and all he can see is a jail and all he can see is a weird lady trying to rape him. If that's all he can see, he would have died a long time before. God was behind him saying, keep your eyes on me even though you cannot see me. And only like that, a great weight of glory will produce. Look at what it's finished, the verses. For what can be seen, the things that can be seen, listen, listen, the things that can be seen, the husband that broke your heart, the wife that broke your heart, the man that stole your family, your, the, your mom that, 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 that broke your dreams, that store that took everything you have, what can be seen is temporary. Anything that can be seen, it is temporary. Your wife that hurt you, your husband that hurt you, that woman that took your family, that woman that slept with your husband, that person that took your kids and, 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 and molested them, that is temporary. That will end. It is said by the Lord, it's declared, and it will happen. It is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. Your perception of the problem, your trust in God in a hard, tough situation, your target, your eyes, your inspiration will last forever. God will last forever. So you got to know that he which is good will take you out of your situation and will put you on high. That's what you got to pay attention to. That's what you got to keep your eyes on. So let me take you to David. Real quick, real quick. Let me take you to David. David, 2 Samuel chapter 12. I'm going to give you a little bit of background of what's going on. Whenever I was studying this, I was thinking about somebody and God told me David. So I went to my favorite story about David, which showed that he was really a man. Now when he, in my, in my perspective, now when he defeated Goliath, this was the moment that decided that he was a man of God. This created an amount of of weight, of glory over him because he knew what to look at. Look at, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, David had taken a woman that wasn't his woman and they had had intimacy and now she was pregnant. She had done wrong. And then he took the, he took the husband of the woman that he took that was not his and sent them to war so that they would kill him. So he not only uh, committed adultery, he also committed murder because he sent the dude to get killed. And now he's in his palace, and this prophet Nathan comes up, and Nathan goes like, hey, um, dude, uh, you messed up. You messed up. And now God's not going to take your life, but you're going to have consequences. Immediately after Nathan leaves the room, his son gets sick. What do you think David's thinking? My son's going to die. 
They just told me I'm going to have consequences. They just told me I did things wrong. And immediately, my son gets sick. And look at where we're at. Verse 16. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 16. Then David, who? Who? Prayed to God for the child and fasted. David is kneeling down. David is praying and praying and praying. God, please, please, please don't let him die. Please heal him. Please take him out of this situation. It is agony. It is, it is a call out for God. It is strength. But the servants of David, no, no, look, we're here. He would even go and spend the night lying down on the ground. He wouldn't even sleep in his bed. The elders of his house stood over him and tried to lift him from the ground, but he was unwilling and refused to eat food with them. He wouldn't eat. He wouldn't sleep on the bed. He wouldn't talk to nobody. He would pray. He is in the middle of pain. He is going through tough, hard pain. He was going through life. That's what life does. That's what happens. Today, Pastor gave an illustration that blew my mind away. So true. He said that life is like this. You go through life and you encounter pain. <laughs> ah, and then you have a, a, a good time. Step forward. <laughs> ah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> ah. Your whole life will be like that. You think your pain is over for the rest of your life? Not going to happen. You're always going to have pain. You're always going to go through pain. David is going through pain. He's going through life because life brings pain. That is what life is whether you like it or not. And in verse 18, it says, on the seventh day, the child died. He's going through pain before the child dies. Now the child dies. The pain should be what? Worst or, or, or less? Worst. But the servants of David were afraid to inform him the kid died. And all the servants are freaking out. Nobody wants to tell him because they would say to each other, while the child was still alive, he would not listen to us. When we spoke to him, how can we tell him that the child is now dead? He will do himself harm. They were thinking, this dude's going to kill himself. Whenever he was sick, he wouldn't even talk. Now he's dead. What is he going to do? What is he going to do? And they're freaking out, and they're whispering, they're whispering. When David saw that his servants were whispering to one another, he realized that the child was dead. So he realized what? That the child was dead. He knows that the child is dead, correct? Correct? He realizes it. He knows that the child is dead. But look at the question that he asked, and this is going to come back at the end. He embraces the situation. Instead of just... Go on with his warning. He looked at them, and David asked his servants, is the child dead? Simple yes or no question. Is the child dead? They replied, yes, he's dead. We can all imagine that what did David do? He started crying. He killed himself. He took his clothes. He killed a couple people. He went to, to, the, to, to the war. He did a bunch of stuff. But look at what verse 20 says. So David got up. There's his reaction. Got up from the ground, bathed, put on oil, and change his clothes. He went to the house of the Lord and worshipped. He started worshipping God. The same one that had told him that he had messed up and days later he died. One plus one is two. If you're any logical, what would your immediate thoughts say? What would the devil try to put in your mind? God killed his kid. That's what the immediate thought is. And he goes to that same God that he would have concluded that killed his kid. And he starts worshipping him. He worshipped. Then when he entered his palace, he requested food. The kid was alive and he wouldn't eat. The kid is dead and now he eats. He goes to worship. He takes a bath. He puts cologne, new clothes, Route 21. Let's do this. It's from Route 21, by the way. Anybody likes it? I'm just kidding. 
Then when he entered his place, he requested food be brought to him, and he ate. David was going through pain. David was going through a hard time, but he knew when to leave it and how to perceive it. He knew that the minute that the kid was dead, it is time to get up. It was time to change your life. You already went through the pain, and it is time to worship and perceive the situation, knowing that God has control of everything in life. So that's what he does. He dies, he gets back up. His kid dies, he gets back up, and he does that. He did not allow that to trick him. He wasn't going to allow the situation to trick him or to confuse him. Look at somebody, look at somebody, get up and look at somebody that's far from me, like, hey, don't be confused. Don't be confused. Come on, look at somebody, tell them, don't be confused. He didn't allow the pain to trick him because, you know, pain has a tendency. Hard situations and hard times have a tendency of tricking you and blinding you. They have a tendency that as soon as you go through pain, as soon as you go through that breakup, as soon as you flunk that class, as soon as that teacher messed you up, as soon as your wife did something to you, what the devil's main objective is, is to traumatize you. He wants you to get completely blinded. He wants you to get completely confused so that you cannot keep on going with your life. That's a trauma. The devil uses trauma. That's his number one my weapon against you is to dramatize you after the problem. After the problem, what he's going to try to do, he's going to try to remind you every day. He's going to try to blind you so that you stay in the same place and you don't move forward to the plans that God has for you. That's what the devil wants to do. Look at what trauma is, an experience that produces psychological injury or pain. And what that does is that people feel permanently damaged. Have you ever met somebody that's traumatized? Those of you that have met somebody that's traumatized, raise your hand. I want you to think about, I want you to raise your hand. Somebody that's traumatized, isn't it sad because you look at them and your immediate thought is, dude, that's gone. That's that. It's sad to see. It's sad and, 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 and it's, it's so tough when, whenever you see a soldier traumatized with everything. And then he's back and he's sitting down in a, in a restaurant and he's freaking out. He thinks that he's in the war. His mind confuses him thinking that something's going to happen immediately. And it's sad because you see him and you're like, hey, dude, that's gone. It's done. You're in the U.S. We're sitting down. We're eating. Everything's okay. Everything's going to be okay. But it's not, that's not the way that he sees it. Because he's traumatized with a situation that had happened in his life. He stops living. He doesn't want to do anything else. He doesn't want to risk anything else. Some of them. I'm not saying all of them. And it's sad to see that. Because they served our country and they protect us. And then they have to go through that. And it's sad. But they stop living. They are no longer in reality. Eh, eh. They're no longer in reality. Now they're living a fantasy. Now they're living as if they were somebody as if they were somewhere that they're truly not. Yes, I swear, yes, I know that. It's so sad. That happens all the time. Yeah, it's so crazy that you don't get to see it. You don't get to see it in your own life. That's sad. Can you pass me that thing? I want to do something real quick. I wanted to do this for a while. Put me some music there, Chris. All right, 
Let's keep going. We're good. So, yeah, Joseph. Incredible, dude. Let's finish Joseph's story. His brothers come through the doors. He's sitting there. He's in the palace. He's in charge of all the food. And his brothers come right through the door asking for food. He recognizes his brothers, but his brothers don't recognize him. So instead, look at this. Look at this. Instead of Joseph, wouldn't it be a logical thing? Joseph, let him go. They hurt you so bad. They threw you in a hole. They come in. They don't know who you are, but you do know who, who they are. My immediate thought is, what do you guys want? Food? Here. Take all the food that you want. Here, take money. Hey, don't pay me nothing. Hey, whenever you need food, hey, it's okay. Just come and get it. Don't even see me. Get out of here. They leave the door. I am free to run. That's what makes sense. Let him go, right? Instead, Joseph, look at what he does. He starts playing this little game with them. That's how I see it. That's how I read it. He starts playing this little game with them. He sends, he, he, t- he keeps one, he sends the rest over there, then they come, he, re- he gives them the money back. When he gives them the money back, then he accuses them of stealing. Then he says, no, you weren't stealing. Then he's freaking out and he's mad at them and he goes like, you know what, come on, sit down, let's all eat, let's all eat, it's all good, it's all good. They all sit and eat. He plans to put some stuff in their brother's food so that they can get caught. He sends them back. He's playing a little game with them. And in some Bibles, the title of those three stories, they call it test. First test, second test, third test. Whatever he was doing in that interaction with their brothers. I thought that was so cool. Calling it a test. And look, in the final test, what Joseph decides to do is that Joseph goes like, okay, I'm going to keep my little brother, Benjamin, the one that's of my same mom, the one that's of Rachel, my real completely blood brother. I'm going to keep him. So he makes a plan, a weird plan, and he now he says, okay, now he's going to be my slave. This little kid, he's going to be my slave. The rest of you, you guys can go back. But he's staying here with me forever. The minute that he say that, his brothers, all of his brothers, freak out because they know that they can't come back home without Benjamin because Jacob, the father, had already, lost ben, had already lost his wife, Rachel, the one he loved that he worked 14 years for, and had already lost Joseph because he got killed by wolves, which we all know that he just got sold by his brothers. And so the only thing that he has left of that heresy, it is Benjamin. And now Benjamin had to go to Egypt. If not, they weren't going to give them food. And now Joseph wants to keep him. And their brothers know if we leave Benjamin here, our, our dad's going to die. Now, in Egyptian law, just giving you a little to teach. In Egyptian law, they can't talk back to Joseph. They can't. They can get killed because they address Joseph again, the brothers. But they know that it's going to be so bad that one of them stands up and is willing to tell them. So one of them... Whenever Joseph says, I'm going to keep Benjamin, I'm going to keep him with me. One of the brothers goes like, they're going to kill me, they're going to kill me, they're going to kill me, but I can't go back without him, I can't go back without him. No, 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 please, 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 please. Hey, what are you doing? No, please, please, hear me out, hear me out. I don't, I don't mean to disrespect you, please. Just hear me say this one thing. Hear me out. Please, take any of us, keep any of us here, but send Benjamin back home with the rest. Send Benjamin back home, and I'm going to explain you why you need to do that. I'm going to explain you why this is so important to me. Our dad lost Rachel. Our dad lost one brother that we had that we messed up and we sold him and we were jerks with him and we threw him in a hole and then we sold him and then we gave him for dead and right now we think he's dead. So he lost Rachel, he lost him and now the only thing he has left is Benjamin. So please, please take any of us but don't take Benjamin. His brothers are talking to Joseph about Joseph. That's crazy. They don't know it's him and his brothers are telling him, his brothers are telling this man that man's story. 
And Joseph is sitting there, and Joseph's got to be trembling. Thousands of thoughts got to be going through their mind. Do I kill you? Do I punch you? Do I hug you? Do I love you? Do I go with you? Do I stay? What do I do? What do I do? He's going through a thousand. He's completely overwhelmed because he's reliving all those moments. They're telling him the story. We took him and we, we threw him in the hole. And Joseph in his mind is playing the movie when he was going down the hole. And now he's in here with all these walls. We sold them. And Joseph is remembering when they sold them to the guy that they sold them. And what those people did to him. He's remembering the punches. He's remembering the betrayal. He's remembering the hits. He's remembering the whips. He's remembering the hole. He's remembering the jail. He's remembering the rape. He's remembering freaking potifarts. He's remembering every single one of them. He's reliving pain. Reliving pain. And now he has to go through this pain again. So after his brothers tell him the story, amen, please, 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 please. Joseph answers back. And this, this is Joseph's answer. Genesis chapter 45, verse 1. Look at what Joseph did after they told him all that. Joseph was no longer able to control himself before all his attendants. So he cried out, make everyone go out of my presence. He's freaking out. He's crying. He's scared. And he says, hey, 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 make everybody get out of this room. Get out of this room, except, except these men, which were his brothers. Get out of this room. No one remained with Joseph when he made himself known to his brother. Nobody was there. Only his brothers, him, and he's going to make himself known to his brothers. Look at how powerful this is. He wept loudly. The Egyptians heard it, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. He wept so, 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 so loud. And pastor made an illustration in the Spanish service, and I'm going to repeat it because it was awesome. comes out and he tells his brothers who he is with passion and with so much pain but he tells him he says I am Joseph is my father still alive his brothers couldn't answer him because they were they were they were dumbfounded before him they were starstruck like what the heck this is Joseph I thought he was dead so his brothers are freaking out nobody's in the room Joseph is crying and yelling and ripping out his clothes in front of them saying I am Joseph please talk to me about my dad I know you're thinking I'm crazy. I know a bunch of you are like, this dude is the weirdest dude in the world. Maybe. I might be the weirdest dude in the world. I'm trying to teach you something, though. Right now, thank you. Right now, you probably get the message. Right now, you understand the message. Well, so I get it. I understand the message. I know what you're talking about. We've heard this before. The message is clear. The message is simple. Pain is real. And we need it. That's the core of the message. That's everything I've been preaching about. The, mess, the, the pain is real and necessary, and it produces in us greater glory. So we need to know how to perceive the pain, and we need to know when to let go of the pain. And if we do that, all of our problems will be, will be, will be, will be good. All solutions will fall down. All we got to do, do is let go. Let go of our past. 
Let go of our problems. Let go of our situations. No, 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 no. We encounter another problem if you tell me that. Now we have to go even a little deeper. Let me tell you something. How the heck are you going to let go of something that you don't have a hold of? How are you going to let go of something if you don't have a hold of it? You don't have your problem. Your problem has you. You're not struggling with your past. Your past controls you. Controls your decisions. Controls your thoughts. Controls your eyes. You're not struggling. You're not struggling. You're not struggling with it. It has you. Whatever it is that you're going through. Whatever boyfriend that was it that broke up with you. Whatever person that broke your heart. Whenever you, you had to file bankruptcy. Whenever you lost everything. You're not struggling with that problem anymore. That problem controls all of your movements, all of your thoughts. And when you close your eyes, when you, go, when you close your eyes at night, you think about that. When you say a word, you think about that. When you move your hand to stretch and say hello to somebody, the pain of raising your hand is there because the pain is controlling you. You are holding on to the stove so, 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 so hard that the pain is not going to produce glory in you. All it's going to produce is going to back you up. It's going to hurt you. It's going to defeat the purpose that I told you at the beginning of the message that you had. It's going to defeat it. Let's go back to this. Y'all want to see me do it again? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do it again. Look at this. Eli, can you come over here? And Pastor, can you come over here? Let me explain this to you. You hold one side. You hold one side. Let me explain how this works. Let's do it down there. Let's do it sideways so people can see. You come over here. You come over there. The floor is your life. This is your life. It's a line. And when you go through life, you're walking through life, and you encounter a bunch of things... You talk about a bunch of things. You meet people. Some become part of your path. Others, you kick them out. You meet people. And what happens in life is that eventually you encounter problems. This is problems. This is pain. This is tough situations. This black cloth that you see. What happens is that when you're walking, you encounter them and they fall on top of you. And what's supposed to happen, what it's supposed to happen in your life is that you're supposed to struggle with it. It's supposed to be painful. But after a little bit, Quickly, you got to understand there is a God and he's taking care of me and this is not supposed to be the rest of my life. So you're supposed to take a hold of it. You're supposed to take it off and you're supposed to keep on walking. Not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. And you're supposed to keep on walking. But this is what's happening to you. You look like a fool. You look like an idiot. You look just like me whenever I was scaring some of you. Some successfully. You look like a fool. Because you're walking, you get to the problem, but you don't have a hold of it, so you can't let go. And you start living the rest of your life, going to places you shouldn't go, talking to people you shouldn't talk, looking ridiculous, holding on to that woman that broke your heart, holding on to that man that broke your heart, holding on to that teacher that called you a failure, holding on to your parents when he, when he told you you were stupid and you weren't worth nothing, holding on to those words look like an idiot and you don't know where you're going because you no longer have the pain the pain has you and the message today is that instead of walking is that instead of keep on going and looking like an idiot what you need to do is that you need to embrace the problem 
You need to embrace a tough situation. You need to remind how much it hurt it. You need to remind yourself how much pain it caused. How much brokenness. You need to remind yourself. No, Josue, I'm supposed to forget it. No, 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 no. You need it to cause greater weight of glory. You need it. You need to remind yourself. But once you have it and you have a hold of it, it is time to take it off and to look at it straight in the eyes and say, you are no more. You are no more. You are no more. I am not a failure. I am not trash. And I do have a husband that loves me. I do have a wife that loves me. I am successful and I am made by a powerful God. You are no more in my life. You got to take a hold of your problem. You got to take a hold of your situation. Look at it straight in the eye and say, I am no more. I am no more. You got to do that. And once you let go of it, then you raise your hands and say, I am Joseph. You say, I am Sierra. You say, I am Marissa. You say, I am Pastor Chu. You say, I am Chris. You say, I am Mike. You say, I am Karen. You say, I am Noah. You say, I am called and made by God for great things. I have a purpose. I am beautiful. I am good because my God does not make trash. My God does not make crap. My God makes excellence and he made me and he told me that I was good, that I had a purpose. That is who I am. I am not my problem. I am not my rape. I am Joseph. I am called. I'm looking for somebody that can yell, I am called. I am called.